Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Tim Peterson, Senior Media Editor at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Senior Reporter at Digiday. So Kaylee, this week you spoke with Laura Cohen, who is the Head of Accreditation at Hearst UK. Um, Hearst owns Good Housekeeping, and Good Housekeeping is probably like the first example of a publisher getting into brand licensing that I can think of. I think everyone is probably familiar with the Good Housekeeping seal of approval. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, definitely a big portion of First UK's accreditation and licensing programming is, you know, attached to this brand. Um, Good Housekeeping, as you mentioned, has their seal of approval, which incorporates a lot of different products and thus creates a big opportunity for consumer revenue um, and licensing revenue in that way. So um, that is one of the brands that, you know, is part of the Hearst UK's like testing facilities, their institute, which we talk about quite a bit. And, you know, it's just about product testing and making sure that the things that they slap the, you know, good housekeeping seal of approval on are actually things that they think their audience is going to buy, which is a, a big piece of their company that they've had to build up. You know, it's not something you could just kind of like pop up overnight. Yeah, I was wondering what product testing means. Like, so it's it sounds like that is actually let's get the products in here and figure out whether this is something we want our brand to be associated with as opposed to look, if the check clears, you can have the brand. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, it's it's a pretty like detailed way of going through and, and testing different products. Um, a, a few different publishers have tried out um, creating these facilities now and it's something I think you know again it's it's a bigger undertaking because you have to create an actual place to do this but in a way I think it lends itself to being a positive um, impact on your commerce business because you have more checks in place to make sure that the things that you are associating your brand with are solid so they're not going to lose any integrity from their audience and their recommendation strategies and things like that. Smart, because then that's how you keep that good housekeeping seal of approval meaning something. So exactly. Sounds like a lot to learn in this conversation. Uh, let you take it away. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Tim. Laura, thank you so much for joining us on the Digiday Podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to chatting. Awesome. Yeah, so you have a very interesting title, I think, in the realm of uh, the media industry, um, head of accreditation at Hearst UK. Um, I personally haven't run into that title before, so I was wondering if you could start by talking about um, what that role does and how you came, you, like came into that position. Um, yeah, so I do think it's fairly unique in media. Um, there's no one else really, there's no other publishing company that, that kind of does what we do, which is why it is it is quite unique. So head of accreditation is a role that um, I've been at Hearst now for quite some time. And it's based around the Good Housekeeping Institute. And it's based around all the products that the Good Housekeeping Institute test. Um, so my role is to diversify revenue to Hearst through um, all of the products that the GHI test and um, seeing where we can work with clients on a so on a B2B my role is very much B2B um, mm. on a, a in a way to um, help them sell more product essentially off the back of the testing that we do so accreditation is endorsement 
it, you know, the Good Housekeeping Institute and the Hearst Institute test product. And then me and my wonderful team go out and um, commercialize that that the output of the testing. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. So it sounds like very much tied to the Good Housekeeping brand at this point. But you have this Hearst Institute, which um, I'm wondering if you could explain a little bit about what that is, because that's a that's a newer kind of entity under under your company, right? Absolutely. So the so yeah, the Good Housekeeping Institute has been testing products since 1924. So we are nearly a hundred years old. Uh, I mean, the institute is. I'm not. Um, but we, yeah. So from the Good Housekeeping Institute, what we have done is we've taken the amazing credibility and authority that the GHI has, and we're utilising that and expanding it to all brands at Hearst. So Hearst have some amazing brands, uh, Cosmo, Harper's Bazaar, Esquire, Men's Health, Women's Health. We have so many amazing brands. And so what we've done is we've taken what the GHI does, which is test product, um, and write reviews that consumers find really useful. And we are taking that across the whole of Hearst now so that all of the brands can now test product um, using the Good Housekeeping Institute and the experts within the Good Housekeeping Institute um, and write reviews for that consumers will find useful um, that can really help with product purchase, um, but in areas that are more relevant to the brands, you know, to the brand that we're writing for. So Harper's Bazaar um, will have a more luxe focus, for example. Obviously, men's health and, and women's health clearly have a, a more fitness focus. So what we've done is taken the expertise of, of the Good Housekeeping Institute and the experts experts and, and all of the heritage and the credibility that we have. And we've just expanded it across all the other brands at Hearst. Got it. And I imagine that's likely because, you know, this 100-year-old franchise that Good Housekeeping has built, the the SEAL and the Institute, that is likely a very large portion of that brand's business. And I'm not sure if you'll be able to like get into that side of things at all. But it sounds like it's trying to take that very strong business like side of things and expand it um, from like a revenue standpoint. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, the the endorsement side of, of good housekeeping, yeah, is, is quite a large portion of the revenue. It's, you know, there is so much else um, that good housekeeping, so many other ways in which good housekeeping generates revenue, obviously. Um, but what we found with the Good Housekeeping Institute and the endorsement line is that it, it 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 does diversify the clients that we talk to. So um, whereas a client might not necessarily find good housekeeping to be the best advertising vehicle for them, for example, it might be that from an accreditation perspective, they'll engage with the brand because they understand the trust that consumers have in, in good housekeeping. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely, we're, we're, we're kind of taking that and expanding it because diversifying revenues at Hearst is, you know, a key strategic pillar and has been for quite, for, you know, for a number of years now within Hearst. Um, you know, we're always looking at ways in which we can help our clients solve any dilemmas that they've got, any kind of marketing dilemmas, any business challenges that they've got. And accreditation quite often acts as that kind of permission to purchase for consumers at point of sale. And so that's how clients like to engage with an accreditation. They understand that we can help an accreditation, you know, good housekeeping or, or men's health, women's health saying we like this product could really help sell that product to consumers and give them that extra little bit of kind of permission to purchase. Yeah, 
Absolutely. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I know that in general, commerce has been something that a lot of brands have been trying to expand into or develop different ways of doing not just like affiliate plugs, right? They're trying to get more into like the review side of things, the, um, you know, very editorial backing of products. And um, I think in general, the kind of like accreditation and having like a seal is is a really unique way of kind of going into that. And a brand like Good Housekeeping, which has 100 years of, um, you know, backing behind it, I'm sure that seal carries a little bit more weight than um, a company that is just trying to get into that now. So I'm I'm curious about, you know, when you are working with the other brands at the Hearst portfolio, um, Hearst under Hearst UK, how you are working on getting those audiences comfortable with the idea of this like editorial um, or the the brand's backing of a product, right? So, I mean, there's editorial recommendations or, and things like that, but, you know, a seal is a very different thing than just saying like, hey, this is something that our editors like, right? Yeah, how are absolutely. you kind of, how are you introducing those new audiences into this kind of accreditation franchising or, or mindset? Yeah, so... Um we are looking at ways in which we do that. And uh, we know from the work we've done with Good Housekeeping that if consumers trust a brand um, and they engage with that brand already, so um, when I say engage, I mean they either pick up the print product, they read articles on the website, they engage with social posts, they maybe come to an event because Hearst do lots of events. So when a consumer already engages with that brand, um, they're already almost giving their permission to that brand to say, to, to recommend products to them because there is already that trust. Oh, I'm reading this article on Cosmo because I'm really interested in what the Cosmo team have to say and I want to read about it. And so what we're doing with the, the Institute content is almost taking that permission and kind of moving it on a step and saying, okay, you want to find out what the beauty editor of Cosmo um, is saying about the latest um, skincare. Okay, so that's brilliant. The re- absolutely, the Cosmo beauty editor is an expert in her his or her own right. Well, actually, you know, we can layer in on top of that and say, this is what the Institute has tested in the lab on behalf of Cosmo. And we can list out our favourite products for, uh, you know, mature skin or dry skin or combi skin or, you know, all the different variations of, of skin types there are because that's how we test. Um, and so it's it's just layering in on top of the expertise of the editorial teams, actually. And, and we do talk about how we test. So there is always, when we, we've got a Hearst Institute article, um, on Cosmo or on Harper's Bazaar, we will always talk about how we test what we did, the rigorous test that that product went through in order to be listed here as a favourite of ours. And we would recommend you to buy it for these reasons because we have actually tested the product. And that's, you know, that that's that's just layering in our expertise on top of the editorial expertise to the consumer. And hopefully, they, you know, that... The whole point of, you know, one of Hearst's mantra is to get more out of life. And that's what we want for consumers, really, to get for them to get more out of life by buying products that are right for them. 
And the research that we've done with consumers, um, we did a piece last year with GH uh, readers online, you know, there was 97% satisfaction amongst consumers who bought a product based on the back of our review. And that for us is key. You know, there's that whole trust is so important for us. You know, that that's the one thing that I would say is the most important part of the piece that we do is consumers trust what we say. So it's really important that we, you know, there is that rigorous testing behind the, the you know, the, the, the products that we recommend and the products that we endorse. Yeah, absolutely. And, and with that, I would love to talk about more of the operational side of you know, testing and creating these like recommendations or, or you know, I guess reviews. Um, so the Hearst Institute, is it like a, a physical like space that you've built that you can do all this testing in? Is it, you know, people working out of their homes? Like how are you actually going about the the testing um, of products? Yeah. So, so we do have a physical lab. Uh, we actually have two labs. So, which is amazing. We have a space in St. Anne's Court in Soho, um, where we test uh, beauty products. So that's a beauty lab now for the whole of Hearst. And um, we test food out of uh, St. Anne's Court as well. So we do a load of taste testing, which is pretty awesome, I have to say. I do like all the food taste testing. And um, and then we also have a purpose-built facility in uh, West London, where we do a lot of the appliance testing, tech testing, health and fitness testing. So where there's big kit involved, if we're testing 30 washing machines at a time, we need somewhere that can cope with the electricity demands, the water demands, you know, or, you know, the actual course, physical yeah. space you need to test 30 washing machines is, is quite big. So we have this amazing purpose-built um, facility in, in West London where we do a lot of that testing out of. So, you know, and all of the testing is done with the consumer in mind. So um, it's all done from the consumer's perspective. So with a washing machine, we won't ever pull it apart and, oh, what does that bit do and what does that bit do? Because actually that's not of interest to to consumers. What is of interest to consumers is um, how creased does my washing come out of the machine once the cycle's done? And does the washing machine actually clean my clothes? Will it actually work? And, you know, if a product is making claims about uses less water than all its rivals, well, actually, we can check that because we do measure water consumption, electricity consumption for things like washing machines. So it's the really important stuff that that consumers want to know that's really useful for them. Um, we do go, there is quite a, a level of rigor in the testing as well. So when we're testing stains, we do use a, um, a piece of kit called a photospectrometer, which does measure the amount of stain that go that comes out of the machine versus the amount of stain that went in. Um, not that I really want to talk about stains, but we do get stain strips made for us um, to our own specification. So we ask good housekeeping readers what are the most irritating stains that they find tricky to get out. And so that's what we base our washing machine testing on, for example, and our detergent testing is the same. So there's a huge level of rigour and then that goes across all the categories. So health and fitness testing, you know, when we're testing wetsuits, you know, we are getting people who are using wetsuits on a daily basis to go and test the wetsuits and how does it compare to the one that they use currently and you know any claims that that wetsuit is making like it dries really quickly or it keeps you extra warm that's definitely something we would test um and for beauty beauty is the you know beauty is the most one of the most fascinating areas for testing because we've got machines that 
do unfortunately measure wrinkles. And so you can tell if a product says it reduces your fine lines and wrinkles, we can test. I mean, the machine is terrifying, but oh, we man. can test that. that. That's definitely what we do. I have a, a ton of questions off of that, but for getting those products and things like that, like how long did it take you to actually build the facility and collect all these like tools? Um, when when did this kind of all come? So into- we've always had like a we've always had a test space. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been at Hearst for over a decade, and the test space has it, it varies. Um, it started off quite small and it's we've gradually kind of got bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had St. Anne's Court for about five years now and then Felton was opened last year. Okay, got it. And then we've, you know, and we've ensured that we do have space to test. I think our capacity is like 38 washing machines in one go. You got it. That A lot yeah. of loads of laundry. Do, do people well, bring in their own laundry yeah. to do there? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately we're not allowed to, no. Because part of the testing is that every... So if you're testing a washing machine, it would be really handy if we could take in our washing. We can't because the ballast, so the actual load, has to be the same every time to make sure that the results that we're getting is from the machine and not actually the fact that I, you know, we've bought in really dirty washing, for example. So, yeah, no, Got we, it. We, we can't do that, unfortunately. Man. Well, you know, that makes sense. <laughs> but I'm, I'm also yeah. curious, like, who is responsible for doing the testing? Is it all like um, full-time Hearst Institute um, staffers? Do you have like a network of, um, I don't know, readers that can, you know, be sent these products and and test them in their own kind of spaces? Like how do you... It's it's actually both. Okay. So we have, yes, there is a team of about 15 researchers who's job it is to test. They're all experts in their own individual field. So for example, our head of beauty testing um, is a chemist. So she understands formulations and her background is in a product development um, of beauty products. So she understands formulations. She can read uh, the ingredients on a, on a, on a moisturiser, for example. Um, we've got specialists in each of the areas. So beauty, food, um, homes and health and fitness. Um, and they've got teams that work with them who do all the testing. And then we also do, yes, we have a panel as well. Um, so we have a, the Hearst panel. Um, that's a selection of readers who have agreed to trial products and services for, for, for us on behalf of us for each of the brands at Hearst. Uh, the biggest panel is Good Housekeeping, but all of the brands have a panel of readers so that we can approach them. So for some testing that we do, there is um, a large element of subjectivity as well involved in it. So um mattresses for example or some kind of beauty product where there is an element of how it makes you feel as well um then that kind of testing we layer in expert testing and reader testing so we get an idea from our panel of readers how they felt about the product how it made them feel did it do what it said it would do um as far as they were concerned from their perspective so that can be really powerful as well um, because you are talking to an audience of consumers who are highly engaged with the brand um, and who who are happy to test products and services for, on behalf of clients. How are the panels then um, created of um, readers? Is it 
basically like going to the readers and, you know, posting on the site like, hey, you know, this could be you. We could let you test a bunch of products or, um, you know, especially for the newer brands that are um, starting to get into the Hearst Institute and, and do these more tested reviews. How are you building these um, panels out? So we're building the panels out um, with through a mixture of means, really. Um, there is um, some call outs in print. Um, there are call-outs on social, um, through the websites, in lots of different ways, really, because people love telling you their opinions of things. Yeah. Um, and and we love hearing it. You know, we want readers to be engaged with our brands. We want people to come forward, to consumers to come forward and talk to us about the brands that they use. You know, because we that insight then also comes back into how we test as well, and it forms... It helps us develop our pro- protocols for testing um, and, you know, the ways in which we can ensure that the results reach the consumers who want to find out about product. You know, it's it's hugely helpful for us as well. So we love when readers come and talk to us and want to engage with us. Um, so, yeah, and, it, you know, it, it takes time to build panels, but actually once the panel's there, it's, it's massively helpful for us. Yeah. And Are the they- testing that we do. Are they like a few hundred or a few thousand? How how oh, big thousands. are these? Yeah. yeah, I mean the GH panel is 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 enormous. We've got varying different panels. So there is a separate beauty panel, beauty testing panel. Um, there is a, a more general panel, and then there's panels for all the brands. I mean some of the some of the panels are smaller than others, um, but yeah, the GH panel is is well over thirty thousand readers. Oh wow, that's yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. We love it. Yeah. Love speaking to readers. Yeah. So how are you going about picking the products then that you're testing? Um, so like washing machines, you could test 38 at a time. I guess how are you deciding like these are the are these the 38 most popular brands that are, you know, being bought at um, a department store? Or like how are you kind of selecting those items? So there's lots of different kind of data points that help us decide which products to test. So we start with uh, an editorial schedule across each of the categories at, um, for each year. So the data points that go into that are things like we'll check out Google Analytics, we'll look at, um, you know, actually what are consumers searching for on our sites as well. So there's a lot um, and what are consumers buying. So if we are, if we say, right, we're going to test washing machines, for example, from the washing machine, like there are hundreds of washing machines available. What washing machines do we want to test? Well, there's a mixture of um, clients that we know that we work with already. So we'll definitely be including their product. Um, We'll include innovative products. So if there's new innovation to the market, we would definitely include that. Um, We will include everything on a, a price spectrum as well, because what we don't want to do is price out some people. You know, there are some excellent budget products that we want consumers to be aware of, as well as, you know, innovation tends to come at a cost, right? So those are going to be the more expensive end of the spectrum. Um, so there's lots of different things that that kind of help us pinpoint, okay, so what are we going to test over, uh, over other products? Um, we'll also look at bestsellers as well. So what washing machine is consistently in the top five bestsellers at a selection of retailers across the UK. Because if that's the product that everyone's buying, we want to make sure that we've already reviewed it. Um, Because again, we want to be helpful. So, So there's lots of different ways in which we decide which products, which categories of products to test, and then which specific products within that category that we then decide to test. And also now, because we're testing for the all Hearst brands, 
actually we can be much more broad in our selection um, because we have all ends of the spectrum within the Hearst portfolio. So that, I mean, that, that, that's brilliant for us. It gives us more scope to test more product. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that um, this is a way for brands who might not be interested in advertising in, say, print or digital can still work with like good housekeeping, for example. So I imagine that there are brands who pay you for product tests. Is that is that right? How do those deals yes. kind of come into the mix? So... Um, there are brands that we work with in a much more kind of strategic way. So um, as I said, as I mentioned, we have that editorial schedule and we test those products. And we're testing those products because we want to, because we think there's a need, because we want think consumers want to find out the results of the testing. But clients can come to us separately to that and we can have a much more um, yeah, strategic conversation and say, right, I've got this product launching and it's launching in six months' time, and we want to launch with an endorsement from one of the Hearst brands. Um, and so, yes, clients will then, we will then fit that testing into our schedule. Um, and it's it's tested in exactly the same way as it would be from for an editorial piece of uh, content. So the protocols don't change. Um, and we offer out the endorsement based on the back of the testing or not. So just because a client has paid us to test their product does not mean that they get access to the logo. And I think that's that can, um, you know, a lot of people are surprised to hear that, because, but it's really important for us that the whole trust piece I mentioned earlier about consumers trusting an endorsement and trusting a recommendation that we give, we would never put an endorsement or a recommendation behind a product that we hadn't tested and it hadn't passed. So... There is that element to it, absolutely. And, you know, we work with a lot of clients in that way because a lot of clients understand the power of, of the endorsement. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So that said, I guess, criteria for passing. That I'm sure really depends on category, depends on product, et cetera. But what, I guess, you know, when you're like looking at the top line, like pass or not pass, what are those kind of conversations looking like? So, we, yeah, we do. Um, clearly, it depends upon the category of product that we're testing um we the te all the testing protocols are commercially sensitive so i can't go i wouldn't go into too much detail but um all products are tested against uh performance design ease of use and instructions uh bar food obviously which is tested um against taste texture aroma and appearance um and there is a pass mark and so if the product does not reach that pass mark it does not get access to the endorsement so um yeah it can it can lead to awkward conversations with clients sometimes um but actually a lot of clients use us for new product development um or they'll use us for um checking that they're uh, that you know that the quality of the product that their supplier is sending them is up to standard um so actually you know we can sometimes when we're about to say to a client oh I'm really sorry your product isn't quite up to scratch um, actually, for them, that's really useful information because we give really clear feedback. It's never just a pass or a fail and then that's it. We all, we offer a, a summary report, um, which offers really clear guidelines, feedback um, and recommendations. You know, we can help with recommendations. We can help with product development as well. We can say, look, actually, it was 
design that let the product down, for example. Um, and it may be if you tweaked this bit of the product, it, it would be a really good product. Um, I mean, sometimes, obviously, it's not that simple, but sometimes it is. And and so we can we can offer that kind of advice to, to clients as well, which they can find really helpful. Yeah, I was going to say that could be a, a really great kind of other way to market the Hearst Institute as like a, a client services thing. Um, yeah. Do you get to like, if you're going to go to the recommendations route, it sounds like you kind of do this by standard practice, but like, do you get to charge more for having those conversations with clients and say like, hey, we'll give you like a really, you know, in-depth guide on how to fix this up for our, you know, for our yeah, so we, we offer that as a service. We do offer that as a service to clients. Yeah, absolutely. So we can, we can, and we have done, we've worked with quite a few clients on, you know, taking their product, testing it, checking where it works, checking where it's maybe a bit challenging and then offering yeah, really clear feedback on how we would improve it. You know, if it was up to us, this is what we would do. This is what we think consumers are really interested in at the moment. And, and this is where we would take the product. So yeah, absolutely. We can do that. Yeah. Um, but a lot of clients just come to us because they want the endorsed. They think their product's great. It's their hero product. They're putting marketing budget behind it. And so they will then just come to us and say, can you test this product? Because we we want the endorsement to launch because we know it'll help with the launch. Got it. So I, I want to talk about revenue from the Hearst UK side of things as well, um, attached to Hearst Institute. Obviously, you have these clients um, that come in and, and pay for you um, to test their products. So you have that like client revenue. Um I'm also wondering, like, do you have, does everything that kind of comes through the Hearst Institute, or maybe not everything, but I'm guessing there's like the affiliate kind of, you know, additional revenue for any sales that are made on products that you test, depending on your relationship with the manufacturer, I'm sure. But then also, do you have like licensing for the seals that you do give out? Like, how do you, I guess, monetize the um, other areas of, you know, the product testing business? Yeah, so... The, the main way in which we monetize the product testing is through selling the accreditation. So the Good Housekeeping Institute approved or um, Red approved, Harper's Bazaar approved, um, Women's Health, Men's Health Lab approved. That's the main way in which currently we drive revenue through the um, Hearst Institute. So normally we offer a um, between a six and a 12 month license on that individual product that's passed the testing. And then it's, you know, clients can come to us and we can have a conversation about renewals at the end of that six to, uh, at the end of the license period. We do also, yes, drive revenue through affiliate and e-com. Um, so all of the content, so there's a huge amount of content that comes out of all the testing that we do. And that content is then hosted on various different Hearst brand websites. So obviously everything is hosted on Good Housekeeping, but if it's relevant for Elle or if it's relevant for Harper's Bazaar, um, the content will sit on on those websites as well. And it's affiliate; it drives affiliate revenue through those. Um, what we found is that if if the product and the review has a logo next to it, so if it's on Harper's Bazaar, it has Harper's Bazaar approved on it, then actually we will, you know, consumers, as I said, they trust the recommendations that we make because they're already invested in the brand. And so that that product will then, we will drive sales through that. Yeah. Do you find that it's like an increased number of sales that come through like the, the seal or the badge being next to a product? Yes, yes absolutely. Yeah. So um, we worked with a particular client um, last year on a, on some um, commercial content, some e-commerce content. And you know, the, the findings that we got were that, that the products that had a logo next to them 
like were the best selling products within that article and that article was the best selling best you know the highest revenue generating article of all the articles that we'd driven for that particular client so yes we know that that works we sell more product um because consumers trust what we tell them you know the the review is there it's unbiased um and it's helpful to consumers so yeah it works really well yeah, no, that makes that makes a ton of sense. So I'm also wondering, so for these other brands, because um, good housekeeping definitely, you know, you have a, a very solid, you know, business model there. There's a lot of different products that can come in and out of that brand. Um, with some of the other brands that you're now expanding this to, um, for instance, you know, Harper's Bazaar, you said that that's more luxe products and things like that. Um, I guess how... Do you have the same kind of like brand interest maybe like from clients for for Harper's Bazaar products just because I feel like Lux might be a little bit more protective of what they are putting out. I'm thinking like certain designers might not be as like willing to put their products through testing. So if there is editorial authority within that brand as as by vertical, so... I'm pick, saying Lux for Harper's Bazaar, but it could also be L um, yeah. or Beauty, for example. Right, Beauty is a great example of where a lot of Hearst brands have that editorial authority already. Mm-hmm. Um, be it in slightly different with with different tone of voices, with different um, areas of expertise, but a lot of our brands write about beauty. I mean, women's health and men's health, so beauty and grooming. I mean, grooming is actually becoming a much bigger area for us to test as well. So, you know, men's health and women's health have the fitness area. You know, if you want to wear makeup at the gym, yeah, it's a bit. But if you want to wear makeup at the gym, here are the best brands to wear. Um, And, you know, so Harper's Bazaar will look at beauty in a slightly different way to Cosmo, in a slightly different way to Elle, in a slightly different way to Good Housekeeping, and again, in a slightly different way to Red. So, that's where a lot of our testing can fit across lots of different brands because actually Good Housekeeping might talk about certain number of brands when it comes to eye cream, whereas Harper's Bazaar would talk about slightly different brands. And so we've tested them all. And that's where one single test that we do on eye cream, for example, might have up to like 30 different products because we are spanning between all the different brands and trying to make sure that we're covering off as many different brands as possible and being as helpful to as many of the different brands as possible. So it really depends on the on the, the or the editorial credibility that's already within that vertical. Uh, and okay. so that's where that's where expanding it from beyond good housekeeping, because, you know, clearly Good housekeeping is not the right endorsement vehicle for a lot of brands, but actually it might be that L might work better for them or Cosmo work, might work better for them. Like the Cosmo audience is different from good housekeeping. Mm, um, absolutely. You know, they've got completely different outlook on life. They they look for reviews in a completely different way. They look for products in a completely different way. And so what we're trying to do is offer them that service as well, mm-hmm. right? Because they have just as much right to be able to buy an amazing eye cream as a good housekeeping reader. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you also mentioned, and and I meant to ask this a little bit earlier, but you mentioned that the licensing deals for these um, seals and like badges are six to 12 months, right? So you that's where you make a lot of the revenue. Do you require brands after the seal licensing deal runs out to come back and retest before they can get the license, like before they can license from you again? Yeah, so they have to, the brands have to, yeah, so we automatically 
uh, retest after three years. Before that, we need written proof that the product hasn't changed, uh, you know, from the ingredients, the formulation, the place of manufacture, you know, even if it's exactly the same formulation, but the manufacturer has changed, then yes, absolutely. If anything has changed in the product from the original version we tested, we we would need to retest absolutely to make sure that it's still where we think it should be and where it was when we endorsed it. Um, because that, you know, and, and formulations change, product test it, you know, products change, that, that's fine, but we just need to retest to make sure that the product is still where we would want it to be. Got it. So all, all this considered, you have multiple brands testing products, you have multiple clients working with you, you have multiple, I'm sure, products from each of the brands that you're working with, and you're retesting. How many products are going through your institute at any given time? And how many hands do you like need on these products to... Yeah, lots and lots. <laughs> um, so we test uh, probably over about 3,000 products a year, um, give or take. Um, and there's a team of 15 researchers at the moment testing mm-hmm. products. Um, and then that's obviously not including all of the panel testing that goes on. So at any given point, there might be, you know, five products in test with a panel of 150 people testing each individual product. Got it. Okay. So Got a it. lot. Yeah. We do a lot of testing. There is always, always something on the go. Always. And how long does it take to do one product test? I'm sure so like- that really depends upon the product. Yeah. Um, so uh, I mentioned mattress testing earlier. So mattress testing, we require pretty much eight weeks of it being in someone's house, them sleeping on it every night to be really sure that we've got all of the results that we need and to the rigor that we need. Um, Whereas if we're eating mince pies, we can probably do that quite quickly. Um, So it really, uh, it really, it totally depends upon the product. So a a kettle won't take very long. A washing machine can take four weeks. Got it. What's the longest you would test a product? You mentioned mattresses are about eight weeks, which I feel like makes sense. But there are certain products that like, if they're, the brand is guaranteeing like, you know, 10 years of, you know, continuous you know yeah so that that's that's really tricky to do right to to test for the whole 10 years so what we tend to do with that is test the product as we would normally um and if it's got a 10-year guarantee on it we'll keep it for 10 years and just keep trying to keep using it just to make sure um but it's rare but we are you know the fact that we do actually get consumers complaining about particular products that they've bought specifically because of the endorsement really shows us that we do need to take this kind of that kind of thing very seriously so we do we we absolutely do yeah yeah right it goes back to that like consumer trust and I think that's the one of the the bigger things I've been curious about is because like um again like the the good housekeeping seal like I feel like beyond readership, it's something that people see um, and and it's use. absolutely beyond readership. So yeah. that's that's the like consumers. They don't, you know, we have a large readership and we have a large audience that engage with us. But the whole Good Housekeeping Institute approved goes way beyond the audience because you know you might not read Good Housekeeping and you might not you know, follow us on Instagram, but you do know that that endorsement means something. You know that you can trust it when you see it. And so 
very much so. The endorsement is not about speaking to our consumers. It is speaking to about consumers as a whole in the UK. And that's where clients, like particular clients like the grocers, for example, do such a good job with the endorsement because they understand it's not about hitting good housekeeping readers. It's about hitting consumers. It's about hitting the people that are shopping in store right now, if I see an own brand product with an endorsement on it versus one without it, well, I'm going to pick the one with the endorsement from Good Housekeeping because I know that that means something. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned you do sometimes get people writing in saying like, hey, well, I bought this from the guarantee. I'm unsatisfied. What do you do in that situation? Like, do you ever go back and say like, these are other kind of like reader contributed comments about a product or how do you kind of like, you know? We take all, anytime any reader contacts us, any consumer contacts us and says, I bought a product because it had your endorsement on it. And actually it's, I don't think it's very good. And here are my reasons why. We always take that very seriously. Um, We will always find out, uh, go back to the consumer initially and say, oh, thanks for your feedback. Is there anything more you'd like to tell me? Have you tried contacting the you know, the manufacturer yourself. Um, And then if they say, yes, we have, and we haven't heard any feedback, then we will go and speak to our clients and say, we've had a customer complaint. Um, Can you please pick this up with the customer? Mm Because it's really important for us that that's taken seriously. You know, consumers don't normally get in touch unless there is actually an issue. So we do take that very seriously, yeah. It's really important to us that consumers feel like they could... So uh, Good Housekeeping used to have... Um, it was called the red phone and it was a consumer hotline where consumers could call in and ask us for advice or complain about a product. Um, and so, and that, that, you know, just that ethos of yes, consumers know they can get in touch with us and we will take it seriously is, is, is still something that that's quite important to us. Yeah. So we've talked a ton about like consumer products, do you do any testing of the, you know, Hearst licensed products? So I know like Cosmo, at least in the US, and um, I'm, I don't know if this is true for the UK Cosmo as well, but I know like there are a lot of licensing deals that um, have come through the brands, right? So there's like perfumes, there's wines, there's, um, you know, different products like that. Are you testing any potential licensed products through um, the Hearst Institute for your brands themselves, like things that you're going to put the you know Cosmo name on as being like a licensed product? So the licensed products that you find in the US are slightly different to the ones that we have here in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and the deals are slightly different. So in the UK, what we do is we test anything that's going to have a good housekeeping license. Yes. So... Um, We've had in the past, we've had like a range of bakeware with a um, a licensee called La- uh, Lakeland, a retailer called Lakeland. Mm-hmm. And so we tested all of that produce, uh, product to make sure that it was absolutely up to standard, that we were happy to put our name against it. Um, and currently, licensed products in the UK tend, uh, are mainly with um, Country Living and House Beautiful brands. Okay. They're things like sofas and carpets. Um, and those don't really tend to be the kind of category of product that we test. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, the editorial teams test them, absolutely, and they make sure that they're up to standard, but they probably wouldn't come through the Institute unless they're from Good Housekeeping. Are you trying to expand into some of those other categories as well? Um, Like, given that the Hearst Institute is now working, like, across brands, are some of those, like, you know, home interiors categories that you're going to 
try to test eventually? Yes, absolutely. So that is, Homes is a massive area for us. Um, we do a lot of mattress testing, topper testing, pillow testing. Um, absolutely, yes, that's probably, that, that is an area that we're looking at. Um, carpets and sofas, bit beyond stain removal, bit tricky to, I mean, they're so subjective, aren't they? That, it, that when there is that level of subjectivity, is this carpet going to go with my decor? that's more tricky to test. Sure. Yeah. It it has to definitely be limited to like, will my... There have to be like, like, there have to be, uh, you know, performance metrics upon which we can kind of hang the testing on. Sure. So with the washing machine, you get the same results every time. It's either a good washing machine or it's not a good washing machine. It's a bit more tricky with a carpet. Yeah, no, totally fair. The, The food category we didn't, we didn't talk about as much. Is this like recipe testing? Is this like, you know, consumer packaged goods that are coming through? Like what are the, what is that kind of um, portion of the Institute really focused on? Yeah. So the food testing is, is one of my favorite bits. Um, so we don't recipe test because, because that's the cookery team. So we have a cookery team that do all the recipe testing. Um, we test finished product that is for sale in the grocers in the UK. So um, at the moment, currently we are, so we're um, we're in July right now, we're testing Christmas food. That's oh, wow. um, the big thing for us. Yeah. Christmas in July is, is, a, is a, a living and breathing thing. So we're working our way through mince pies, Christmas pudding, roast turkey, pigs in blankets, all the trimmings. It's fabulous. Um, so that is one of the biggest food tests that we do. That really is um, a massive area for us, Christmas food testing. And then throughout the year, it's very seasonal, as you would expect. So um, come January, we'll be testing barbecue food for the summer um, and Easter products as well. So we'll be testing a lot of Easter Easter eggs, which um, someone's got to do it, eat all the chocolate. Um, oh man, terrible. Yeah, I know it's it's awful. Uh, and yeah, so so we do a huge amount of food taste. I mean, a huge amount of food taste testing. Yeah, absolutely. that's a really big area for us. And it works um, from an endorsement perspective and an accreditation perspective. It's really big for the grocers in the UK. Um, you know that they, they are some of our biggest clients um, because from an own brand perspective, it, it can be really, pa- an accreditation can be really powerful. I think the last question I had for you is, so obviously Hearst Institute in Hearst UK, you're focused on the UK naturally. Likely there's probably not much crossover in like the US, but with the other areas in Europe and like the other brands that are, you know, neighbors to you, do you have any kind of like, you know, crossover with with those brands at all like do you work with um you know Cosmo in Italy or you know any of the other kind of locations nearby so um we we have really close relationships with our counterparts in the U.S. actually so the Good Housekeeping Research Institute in in the U.S. you know we we have regular catch-ups with them and regular catch-ups with the team there um as far as Europe's concerned yes absolutely we do work um with all of our European counterparts, because we are, um, yes, we're Hearst UK, but we are part of Hearst Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, the slight difference in Europe is that there isn't that history of testing that we mm-hmm. have here. There isn't an equivalent, like Good Housekeeping is only published, pretty, you know, from a European perspective in the UK. So they don't have that history of testing that we do. 
but um, it is definitely something that we are exploring at the moment is how do we work you know we are working across Europe more closely already um, so ha- what does that look like for the Hearst Institute is-, is being worked on at the minute Laura thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this has been super fascinating um, I think going in like the ins and outs of product testing and how the Hearst Institute really you know creates this unique way that the brands can have a, a solid trust-based commerce business is super fascinating so thank you again I really appreciate it well thank you very much for having me it's been lovely to talk to you all right well that brings us to the end of this episode of the Digiday podcast thank you to everyone for listening and please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it you can even rate us and leave a comment on apple podcasts if you like we'll be back next week with another episode